1: You see, that's the way people who are characterized by integrity are. They are transparent. You and I need to be like that. As I said before, the masks need to come off. We need to stop playing games. We usually have those masks on because we want to hide something, because of our pride. We don't want people to see the way we really are. So we tend not to be transparent, but that's so wrong. We need to be so straightforward that people don't walk away from us guessing into what we were really thinking. Are you that way?
2: The world is full of inherently dishonest people, isn't it? We like to focus on politicians, especially during election campaigns. Some say that it's easy to tell when a politician is lying. His lips are moving. But we all know that politicians have not cornered the market on dishonesty. Even so, I have heard many people try to claim that mankind is basically good But if that were so, why do our children naturally resort to lying in order to get what they want or to try to protect themselves from punishment? I've never heard of anyone who had to teach their child to lie, cheat, or steal. It is built into us from birth. It's part of the sin nature that we inherit from Adam. Even so, we all desire and appreciate honesty and transparency in the people around us. Why is integrity so important? Why is it so difficult, and how can we attain and maintain reputations as people of integrity? Hello, I'm Peter Silseth. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a daily radio Bible class led by pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been teaching at Lakeside for over 26 years, and now Verse by Verse Ministries brings his messages to you through this radio station. Today, we begin the second of three messages in defense of integrity. We will spend this and the next two classes covering this message. If you have your Bible with you, turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here is Pastor Steve.
1: Well, let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We continue in our study of Paul's wonderful letter to the Corinthians, a letter in which He just bears his heart, opens his soul, and you really get to see what's inside of a man of God. Second Corinthians chapter one, I'd like to read beginning at verse 15 all the way down to verse 22. Paul writes this, In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing that is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, christ jesus who was preached among you by us by me and Sylvanus and timothy was not yes and no but is yes in him for as many as are the promises of god in him they are yes therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of god through us now he who establishes us with you in christ and anointed us is god who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge And let's, let's just read verses 23 and 24 and we'll just finish here. But I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith, you are standing firm. In recent years, the phrase, what would Jesus do has become very popular. You can see it on bumper stickers. You can see it on little hand bracelets and other uh, knickknacks, and that phrase has been coined to remind Christians who are facing moral dilemmas to consider what would Jesus do as he faced this situation, this type of situation. Well, it, it seems that the first, in the first century, the early church also had its unique sort of pet phrases and expressions to remind them to live out the truths that Jesus taught in the New Testament. Paul mentions one of these expressions in the verses that I just read to you. I'd like you to notice again verse 17, but take careful note of the very interesting way that Paul worded the ending of verse 17. He wrote, therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? And then note this, so that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. That's very interesting. This expression, yes, yes, and no, no, parallels a saying of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse 37. Jesus in that context was condemning the Pharisees for coming up with all sorts of uh, oath formulas which would uh, cause them to say a certain expression and not have to mean it. In other words, Jesus was condemning the Pharisees for lying and looking religious at the same time for skirting the issue of truth and so what he was doing in this uh, in this passage is stating that true believers must be truthful and honest in their speech they should be straightforward in saying what they mean his thought was your yes should mean yes and when you say no, it should mean no. You should not need to say anything else to convince people that you are telling the truth, sort of like people do today. Well, listen, I cross my heart and hope to die. I'm telling you the truth. Uh, Jesus is saying you don't need to say that. Your yes should be sufficient. Your no should be sufficient. Anything else that you feel you need to say to prove that you're truthful is wrong. Now, that saying by Jesus apparently became well-known in the early church. And I say this because James, in his little letter at the end of the New Testament, repeats this phrase, word for word. And Paul picks it up in 2 Corinthians, the passage we just looked at, because some people claim that Paul was not speaking the truth, that Paul was, was not saying yes and no, but Paul was saying yes and no in the same breath. That he wasn't just being straightforward about a yes, straightforward about a no, but he was speaking, as we would say, out of both sides of his mouth. And the way this is worded in the original language would seem to indicate that Paul was actually quoting an accusation against him. He was saying, this is what people are saying about me, that I say yes, yes, and uh, no, no at the, at the same time. In other words, what they said is that Paul was fickle. He was vacillating, unreliable to keep his word. He couldn't make up his mind. He might say yes, yes, one day. And the next day he might say no, no. Or or one moment he might say yes, and the next moment he might say no. They said this is a guy who can't make up his mind. This is a guy you can't trust. Now, this is the accusation of Paul being untruthful and vacillating that forms the background of 2 Corinthians 1. It was made, as I've, I've told you before, and I'm just sort of reviewing certain things now, it was made by uh, men who Paul will later in chapter 11 refer to as false apostles. Not just false teachers, though they certainly would be that, but false apostles. They claimed apostolic authority. Now, if they claimed apostolic authority, then they must undermine Paul's authority, because Paul's message was different from their message. And so they try to hit Paul at the jugular, and the jugular is this man is not truthful. He's not truthful in his itinerary that he made, Therefore, he's not truthful in his his theological truths that he has uh, espoused. They said that Paul was dishonest, he was unreliable, and he could not, therefore, be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And what Paul does in chapter 1 is he launches into a defense of his integrity. That's what chapter 1 is about. However, it is important to understand that Paul wasn't so much concerned to be exonerated because of his personal reputation. That was really quite secondary to Paul. Paul was not really concerned what they thought of him as an individual. But at the heart of chapter 1 is Paul's desire for the Corinthians to understand that his ministry as a preacher and teacher of Jesus Christ could be trusted. That's really the intent here. What he did in his itinerary, we'd sort of say, who cares? But we only care because what he has to say about his truthfulness in setting a schedule affects what he is uh, about to teach them concerning him himself as a teacher of truth. So you see, the false apostles charged that Paul's fickleness on making decisions concerning personal matters carried over into his teaching ministries. If you can't trust a guy on personal matters, why would you trust him on his theology? That's really the heart of this passage. Now, this is the charge facing the apostle. And he chooses to deal, in fact, there are many other charges that we'll see throughout this letter, but he chooses to deal with this charge of being untrustworthy first, because it is really the foundation of everything else. If Paul can't convince the Corinthians, who many of them had bought into the accusations of the false false teachers, teachers and apostles, if Paul can't convince the Corinthians that he's a man of integrity, then nothing else that he has to say as a teacher really matters. If they won't believe you on such a mundane issue as scheduling, then they're certainly not going to believe you on the theology of of Christ and biblical theology. So from verse uh, verse 12 all the way into chapter 2, actually to verse 4, Paul defends his charge of being insincere and fickle by presenting three qualities of his life that demonstrated his integrity. This is a defense. This is Paul making an argument on his behalf but it's not self-serving it is it is uh, Christ serving now, last week we began to look at these qualities. We looked at one of them. We're going to quickly review that uh, one quality of life, and then we'll move on and focus on the second one. And these are very important principles for us. This is not isolated, something that's just an ancient message from 2,000 years ago. These qualities of integrity ought to be evident in our lives as well. If we represent the God who is truth and who has revealed himself in, in Christ, who said he is the way, the truth, and the life, then we ought to be noted as men and women who speak the truth. No guessing games with us. We ought to uh, have the masks off in our marriages, at work, in our relationship with our children. We ought not to be manipulative in any way. We ought not to be known as people who exaggerate, as people who embellish the truth, as people who tell white lies, as people who have the attitude of the world where everybody does it, so I'm going to do it. We ought to tell the truth and trust God. Because if you don't, you have no credibility, nor can you ever have an effective ministry. If you don't have a reputation for telling the truth, then you have nothing else. Your name is lost. It is ruined.
2: And that is why integrity is so vital, especially for Christ followers. We are all aware of the many prominent evangelists and Christian leaders who have lost their ministry when it has been discovered that they were not honest. Those scandals not only destroy the ministry of the person at the center, but they reflect poorly on the ministries and testimonies of others, even you and me. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve will be right back to show us how the Apostle Paul defended his integrity. Before we resume, though, we would like to say welcome to those of you who might have just found us on your radio dial. You are listening to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air. Today's class is the first part of a three-part message and is part of a series of messages in defense of integrity. As we return to class, please open your Bible, if you have it with you, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. And now, here is Pastor Steve.
1: So, with this charge of vacillating insincerity as the background of this section let 's begin to explore as Paul defends his integrity. The first quality of his life that that demonstrated Paul was a man of honesty, a man of sincerity, a man of integrity was this, which we looked at last week. He was totally transparent, totally transparent. You could see through the guy he was crystal clear. Paul first turns to the fact that he has a clear Conscience concerning his integrity, he says that in verse twelve, for our proud confidence is this, this is what he boasted about, not boasting the sense that he was uh, proud because of his own accomplishment that would be that would be uh, sinful pride. He is boasting of the fact that God has done this work in his life. It is God who has accomplished this here's his proud confidence it's this it's the testimony of our conscience. His conscience testified to this, his conscience cried out that this was true. What was true? That in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. Paul says that his conscience testifies that he behaved with godly sincerity amongst not only the Corinthians, but in general to the world. That was his general way of, of living. But it's interesting because I think that what he's emphasizing here is not just the way he lived, but his speech. His speech, he was talking about what he has to say concerning integrity, the Greek word that is used to, uh, that we translate godly sincerity is a fascinating word. It was used, as I told you last week, of holding something up to the sun, some product, something that you would buy to hold it up to the sunlight because unscrupulous merchants might be concealing some defect in the product. And normally you would buy something uh, under a, a shaded area uh, in a store or a hut and uh, you might not see the defect. So they would take it out, hold it up to the sun, and see if if the merchants were concealing anything. In effect, Paul is saying that when he thought back on his dealings with the Corinthians, his conscience said that he was transparent, that you could take him out, hold him up to the sunlight, and see that nothing was concealed in Paul's speech. What he said was exactly what he meant. He was transparent in his speech, in his way of life. what you saw is what you got. But not only was his speech filled with integrity, his verbal speech, but his letters, his written communication, uh, that also, in that he was transparent. He said that in verse 13, for we write nothing else to you than than what you read and understand. And I hope he said you will understand until the end. Paul is saying I have no hidden agenda in my messages or my letters. And there were three, at least three, letters that Paul wrote, as I told you last week, one we don't have in the, in the canon of scripture. The others are first and second Corinthians. And there are some, uh, very good Bible teachers who hold that there was another letter that has been lost. Um, that's, that's not my view. But nonetheless, there were a number of letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And Paul's saying in none of them did I have any hidden message. No ambiguity. No ambiguity at all. What I wrote to you is exactly what I meant. You don't have to try to figure out what I'm talking about. See, we have to try to figure things out. That's why we look at the Greek language and we study. They didn't have to try to figure out the Greek language. They knew it. They were they were Greeks. This was Corinth. But we have to. Paul said, but there was no hidden deep message that sometime later you will go, oh yeah, I read between the lines. Nothing between the lines. The words conveyed his honest thoughts. You see, that's the way people who are characterized by integrity are. They are transparent. You and I need to be like that. As I said before, the masks need to come off. We need to stop playing games. We usually have those masks on because we want to hide something because of our pride. We don't want people to see the way we really are. So we tend not to be transparent, but that's so wrong. We need to be so straightforward that people don't walk away from us guessing into what we were really thinking. Are you that way? Would your spouse say he or she is just upfront with me? I don't have to wonder when they tell me something. I know they're, they're being trustworthy. Would they say that, uh, of, of you at work, school? Would your children say that about you? Would you say that about your children? That's the way we ought to be, transparent. There are some people, Christians, who uh, who are just pseudo-spiritual and and, and they, they have all kinds of ways of of hiding that they're really not that spiritual, but they come across with this facade. Paul was not like that. Paul was very vulnerable to admit that at times he was down, at times he was fearful. That's the way we ought to be because we are like that. I don't say we ought to be fearful, but but that's the way we are, and we ought to let people know that I am struggling in those areas. Listen, if you're not like that, how could the body of Christ come alongside of you and minister to you? How could the body of Christ come and bear your burdens if we don't know what burdens you have? If everything is just fine, then we can't help you. So Paul was transparent, and we need to follow in his footsteps like that. He was transparent. And many, he said of the Corinthians, already knew this, but some were still not convinced. He tells us this in verse 14, just as you also partially did understand. I take it that he means partially here and that some in the church understood that uh, he was transparent, but not everyone. So it's just a partial recognition. He said that we are your reason to be proud as you are also ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. Paul is referring to the great truth that following the rapture of the church, Paul and the Corinthians, like all believers, like like us, we will stand before Jesus Christ. This is called the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, where he will turn out and give out our eternal rewards. Paul said, at that time, when I stand before Jesus, I will rejoice because you were my converts, if you will. You were my disciples. I had the privilege of leading you to Christ and and nurturing you. And he said, and you will recognize then, all of you will recognize that I was your apostle, your true apostle, your true teacher. And we will rejoice together. We will boast in what God has done. We will delight in that. In that day, all, not partially, but all of the Corinthians will be rejoicing in the truth about Paul. They'll all know, because in that day, everything that is hidden will be revealed and disclosed, that Paul was a man of integrity, and he was their apostle, and he did teach them the truth. But for right now, some of them in Corinth were questioning his integrity. And so in the next few verses, Paul explains what caused them to feel this way and then he gives a direct response to their direct charge, and that direct response constitutes the second quality of life that demonstrated Paul's integrity. So Paul was a man of integrity, number one, because he was transparent in his behavior, especially his speech. Number two, a man of integrity is dedicated to God in his and his truth, dedicated to the Lord and his truth. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing, that is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey. Now, in these two verses, Paul states that his original plan was to visit Corinth- twice the city of Corinth the church twice once on his way to Macedonia which was in northern Greece Corinth in southern Greece and then he said i want to visit you the second time on my way out of Macedonia i will come to you why to twice give you a blessing i want to i want to minister to you personally two times now uh, keep this in mind, these were Paul's, uh, this was Paul's original plan. But if you look back just one chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, you'll see that he actually changed it. Chapter 16, notice verses 5 through 7. I take it that this... uh is this is the second plan that Paul has. The first was to come to them twice. But now he says in verse 5, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. Now notice, there's no two visits planned. Now he's changed it to one. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I wish. Paul seems to be uncertain here. I might stay with you. If I do stay with you, I I I might even spend the winter with you. Verse 7, for I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. Then you go back to Corinthians and you see that he had changed the plan. First his original plan, visit you twice, probably just stopping off. Then in First Corinthians he says, no, no, what I'm going to do, I want to spend some time with you, some not just uh, quality time, but quantity time, and I might even spend the winter with you. Now, that's those were Paul's plans. He says that uh, he wanted to do this, and then he changed to do this. Now, keep that in mind, because the false apostles are going to say, the guy can't make up his mind. Yes, yes, one day, no, no, the next. But for right now, I want you to notice that after, he said, originally after his second visit to them, his plan was for them to help him on his journey to Judea. He says that in verse 16.
2: Thank you for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. Our instructor for these daily radio Bible classes is Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His clear expository lessons are made available via radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you who are first faithful to their own church. Today's class was part of a three-part message. You can order the entire message on audio CD or cassette tape by calling us at 727-441-1714. Please leave your name and a number and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. If you would like to hear today's broadcast again, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can download the message to hear it later. Or listen online. We also have previous messages on our archives page. There's even a podcasting service which you can use to make sure you don't miss any future classes. That's versebyverseradio.org. I hope you'll be with us for the next verse by verse as Pastor Steve continues this message from Chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Paul had a very good reason actually a dual reason for not wanting to go through Corinth on his way to Jerusalem. We will learn about that and we will also see that while dishonest people get lots of criticism, so do people of integrity. I'm Peter Silsa. I'll see you then.
0: We are here to give you strength between